Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Light and the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. This is not the first Monday of the month, but we will be back on our first Monday of the month schedule starting in December. I apologize for um, all the... uh, disruption that my insane schedule has caused to our uh, schedule on this program. Back to the regular schedule um, starting in December. Now we have, uh, who we got on the line here? Let's see. Uh, is this Tom or Nina? Or when, uh, oh, Heidi calling from area code 207. Yes, Heidi's here. <laughs> Heidi's here. (laughs) I am doing well. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Good. And, um, well, you know what? Since the others have not joined yet, we got a bunch of very um, interesting emails to respond to. Let me see who we have here on area code 720. I'm not familiar with this area code. 720, who are you? Hi, it's Vanessa calling from Denver, Colorado. Got it. And you've got a question. Yes. Um, I started I'll tell you what, your... don't ask it yet. Give us, give us okay. a minute or two to get ourselves settled here, and then I'll bring you back online, back on the air. Good? Yeah, sounds good. Be with you in just a sec. Um, I'm juggling a little girl, too. I don't think it'll be a problem, but... Well then, you know what? Let's let's have you go ahead. Okay, you ready for me? We are. So, um, she, my my daughter, she just turned six the other day, but um, she's in kindergarten, and um, they implemented a, um, they started implementing this kind of, they didn't call it punishment, they called it consequences. They were very. Clear that it's not a punishment; it's consequence. But I didn't. It appeared to be a punishment to me, and her whole attitude towards school changed. Mm. So um, I talked to the school and the teacher, and I insisted that they not use this punishment on my daughter. And they complied, but they were very unhappy about it. They were very upset with me. Um, they were actually literally angry with me about it because they felt like I was taking away um, a tool that they used to get her to comply. Um, It's been a month now since they stopped doing it and she's thriving again and wants to go to school. And, um, you know, it's amazing following your um, research because it's been working great and I'm I'm getting less um, pushback from the teachers but it was really hard, you know, this is, it's kind of a radical idea in our society not to punish children and, you know, so many people still believe in corporal punishment, 
that you mm. feel like you're you feel like you're doing something um it's just, you know you're made to feel like you're doing something very wrong or um you know that reaction from the teachers was just it was hard because they were so angry and you want to have a good relationship with your teachers but I stood my ground and I don't I don't know if you have any ideas on how to um, keep your keep your uh, principles intact but still work in a society where punishment is first and foremost in in the way we deal with children. Yes. Um, so I'm going to mute you just in case you have background noise, but then uh, yeah. here's the cool part. I'm not the only one with ideas on this program. I've got a principal from British Columbia with ideas. I've got a special ed director from Maine with good ideas. I usually let them go first. So let me mute you real quick here, and then um, I'm going to let our principal from British Columbia weigh in first, and then our special ed director will go next. But I want to congratulate you for standing your ground. It is not easy to buck the tide which tends to be so oriented toward punishment. But we got a principal here who has bucked the tide in her school system. Carol, let us know um, if you've got any advice for this mom whose kid was thriving before they lowered the boom, and then when she asked them to stop lowering the boom, the kid started thriving again. Carol, what do you think? Well, I jumped in a little late, so I didn't get all of the context. Um, that's a that's a toughie because in the school system it tends to be the 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 principal that sets the tone for um, you know the way that discipline is managed in the school and the way that behavior is seen in the school. Um, so I, I've kind of missed kind of where that standoff took place, but I think um, possibly enlisting um, other staff members maybe who can help um, provide perspective. Um, in our schools, we have a process known as our school-based team, which we have every week or two where teachers uh, bring forth students that they may be concerned about with any aspect of their education, socially, emotionally, behaviorally, academically, um, and we kind of brainstorm together. And so sometimes having other voices in the room um, to discuss what's happening with your child and um, if you've got some advocates and some other people that are putting on the same um, sets of lenses as you have about about why your child is having those challenging behaviors um, might help. Where you know there's there's power in numbers. Um, thank you for that. Um, here, here's the good part: if we're keeping data on this kid, um, then um, apparently the data would be pretty striking. When they're lowering the boom, she's not doing very well, and when they aren't lowering the boom, she is doing well. You know, it's not just rewarding and punishing that our society is so obsessed with. It's compliance. Um, and I get it. In a school, you want kids to do what they're told, and you want kids to meet certain expectations. The lowering the boom part comes in when a kid is having difficulty meeting expectations. And lowering the boom gives us no information whatsoever about what's getting in the way of a kid meeting a particular expectation. And therefore, I often view it as completely counterproductive. 
the lowering the boom part tends to be primarily oriented toward the behavior the kid is exhibiting, either when they're having difficulty meeting an expectation or right as we're finished lowering the boom. Um, that's when you see behavior, either in response to an unmet expectation or after we've lowered the boom because the kid is having difficulty meeting an expectation. But nowhere in that sequence of events are we learning about what's getting in the kid's way. Are we making sure that the kid's understands our concerns, nowhere in there are we working together towards solutions. All we're doing is focused on the kid's behavior. That's what lowering the boom focuses on. Heidi, I bet you've got some interesting thoughts on this as well. Yeah, and I have, I'm really appreciative that the parent um, um, went in and talked to them um, about her child's behavior and you know, I think the biggest thing for me is making sure that we communicate. And as a special ed director, um, parents, I well, anybody, I guess, parents know their children very well. Um, so communication is number one. And if you can find somebody in the school that you can communicate with and talk through rather than, um, you know, everybody coming in and, and it being adversarial, how do we understand both people's sides? And sometimes... Um, it may not be the school system yet that's ready to look at things that way, but as a parent, what could you say to them in kind of keeping in the practice that we have, um, you know, through this process, uh, how do you work towards these solutions and kind of have a list and stuff for yourself? I know sometimes it's hard and you feel like you stand alone, but it's so important to be able to have that communication, um, to find that person that, that listens and to start planting those seeds and see how it works, you know, talk to them about it. What I've done in the past is I've um, bought a lot of the Raising um, Human Beings book, and I've actually handed it out to parents. Um, maybe you do that in reverse, and you hand out one to your teacher or maybe one to your principal in a non-adversarial and confrontational way, and I think you'll actually get a lot further than, um, you know, if we all come in and we're, we're kind of working against each other. But how do you find that solution in the middle? Um, along those lines, somebody who I admire greatly, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot, has written this wonderful book. It was 15 years ago, mm. but called The Essential Conversation. Uh, and the subtitle is What Parents and Teachers Can Learn from Each Other. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's, sometimes it's extremely hard for parents and the folks at school to collaborate with each other. Um, sometimes the folks at school feel defensive. They've got a building to run. Sometimes the parents feel defensive. This is their kid. They know something about their kid. Um, the, the fascinating thing is, this is almost a statement of the obvious, is that um, both parties have really crucial information to offer about the same kid. There almost has to be a meeting of the mind um, because they got to collaborate with each other. Um, but uh, Heidi and um, Carol, I know that you both know that there are schools out there who, whose basic mentality is, um, this is my building, um, I run it my way. This is my classroom, I run it my way. Running it your way is, uh, you know, my translation of that in a somewhat softer way is, this is my classroom, this is my building, we have expectations. Great. Got to have expectations to run a building. Got to have expectations to run a classroom. But it's what you do when those expectations aren't being met that is where the rubber meets the road. And if we are obsessed with compliance 
and obsessed with lowering the boom when a kid is not meeting a particular expectation, we're going to continue losing kids like it's going out of style. Um, let me bring Mom back on. I think she's still there. Mom, any other that. thoughts? Um, Anything you want to add to the discussion now that we've unmuted you? <laughs> I appreciate how the um, the kudos for my sticking with it because, and I hope other parents do it too because it's not easy. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was really hard to you know stand my ground, but I'm really glad I did because it it just made all the difference in the world and. And what you're talking about works, and I feel like um, I feel like I want to evangelize it all day long, and <laughs> because it's so it's so wonderful. I don't have I don't do timeouts. I don't you know it's it's just a wonderful system, and um, I think people are people are I think they have disbelief. There's just so much disbelief that it could work, mm-hmm. and it, but it does. And that we disbelief We've got data about is, why it doesn't work. <laughs> well, the, the data say it does work. I'm always in disbelief about the disbelief. Um, no, the data that, that, the basic, that punishments and suspensions and lowering the boom doesn't work. Right. It's the basic yeah. divide, though. The big divide is whether we're going to focus on a kid's behavior and modifying it or whether we're going to focus on the problems that are causing that behavior and solving them. And this is a problem-solving model. But, Mom, I can commiserate with you. Many people who want to push things in the problem-solving direction feel like pariahs because they are bumping up against the way things have always been done. But it's because of the way things have always been done that we are still, in the United States, suspending uh, millions of times a year in and out of school, three million times a year each, still doling out countless dozens of detentions, millions of detentions every year, still in 19 states hitting kids on the butt with a piece of wood to help them do good at school hundreds of thousands of times a year. If that's the way we've always done it, and it's also the case that depending on the size of the building, it's the same 10, 20, 30 kids in every building who are receiving the lion's share of those punitive interventions, if that's the way we've always done it, count me out. Mom, we appreciate you calling in, and if you want to evangelize, just get in touch with us with Lies in the Balance, and we'll see if we can have you play a role. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. It just makes a big difference. You bet. Take care. You know, it's good to hear that it makes a difference. Um, sometimes we are a bit detached from that. Um, uh, Carol or Heidi, anything that you want to add before we move on to some of these great emails that we've got that people want answers to their questions? Well, you know, I'm not sure how long ago it was that that, that parent had that uh, little face-to-face with, with the principal and felt like they really had to stand their ground. But, you know, sometimes what that does is it plants a seed of, of curiosity or, or reflection or questioning, um, you know, even if even if a person may feel uh, tied to their practices, um, hopefully practitioners in the educational field are always reflecting about how effective our work is and the things that we do are. We're always evolving. We're always learning. So hopefully, even though they might not have had results right away, um, 
maybe that seed's been planted and maybe that, that principal will go and um, start to do some reading and start to do some research and find out for themselves, follow the path and see where it leads them. And you know what, if it's a mom who gets that spurred into action, so be it. Mm-hmm. Heidi, yeah. any more yeah. kernels before we move on to some email? Yeah, um, I would just say to my educator friends is that, um, you know, let your defenses down a little bit and let let it let it work <laughs> a little before, right? Because we've become a sort of a defend, defensive nation. Um, and I would just like to sort of go back to saying, Let's just let's let it down a little bit and remember why we're why we're there for the for the kiddos. I think that's a good reminder, and I um, yeah. think a lot of people have noticed that we are um, in North America these days, but perhaps especially in the U.S., being less kind, less patient, listening less well, and being a heck of a lot more defensive. Um, yeah. Time to chill out and start listening to each other a little. Absolutely. Let's turn our attention to some email, but you know what I forgot to do before the program started? I forgot to give the call-in number, and that's crucial. Uh, It's 646-727-2691, and callers always take priority on the program, so we still have a meaningful amount of time left. Call in if you've got a question or want to tap into the expertise of our panelists on this program. Here's our first email of the day. I am a social work student and work as a mental health behavioral aide at a level four school in the Midwest. Most of the kids in our high school classroom have lagging skills and unsolved problems. There's also a lot of trauma with our kids. Most of our kids have been in placements, lack parental support, and have been unsuccessful in school at any level. I'm reading both of Dr. Green's books. Um, I'm not sure which those two are, but I'm betting if it's a school lost at school or lost and found, and would like to work with a couple of kids in my classroom using CPS. Here's the questions. Do you believe that this can work for kids who have suffered from trauma and lack parental support? Most of our kids have been down the therapy route, and obviously whether they see a therapist or not is beyond our control. Obviously, the lack of home support is something out of our control as well. Let me add an editorial comment here. Good for you for realizing that. More, more editorial, because there's lots of folks who focus only on the fact that there's no home support and then spend six hours of the school day thinking about how little home support there is but not doing what they could be doing in those six hours a day at school to be supportive to the kids. So um, good, good for you for realizing that. Let me continue. Any ideas or thoughts are greatly appreciated. Uh, Perhaps if I can find some small success, I can convince the administration to sponsor a training for our school. Thank you for writing in. And Heidi, I'm going to give you the first crack at that one. Can solving problems collaboratively and proactively help kids with trauma histories and even if there is a lack of parental support, can the folks at school make it work? Yes, one step at a time, absolutely. And and looking at the lagging skills and identifying what they are and what the unsolved problems are, um, step by step, we can we can work towards a bigger goal. Now, granted, there are some that are bigger, and um, when kiddos are usually in um, special purpose private schools or residential placements, they have a lot a lot of needs. Um, and I think just looking at it. Um, and finding out in the new environment where what skills are lagging and what the unsolved problems are, and just taking it step by step and really following the process 
It really helps to clearly identify what it is that you have to work on. Trauma is a whole, you know, different thing, and I'm going to let you um, sort of speak to that, Ross, because I, I, I don't always dare to dare to step into that. But if we were to look at the base of it, um, just just touching on those lagging seals and unsolved problems really gives you a great starting point. Well, and I'm happy to weigh in. I want to give Carol a crack at it too. But um, trauma, um, for me, doesn't change the complexion of Mm -hmm. what's being presented by this kid in a major way. Um, What do I think a kid who's traumatized needs? Now, they may need something besides um, CPS to help them process what they've been through. Um, But what a lot of kids who are traumatized mostly need is uh, an adult who they feel they can trust, an adult who's listening, adult who is asking good questions and gathering information about the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problems that may, quite frankly, have been treated rather harshly in the past. Um, Kids need to know that their concerns are going to get addressed. They need to be engaged in a collaborative process. Um, So what I'm describing here that I think most traumatized kids need very badly is Plan B. They need us to, as you were saying, Heidi, identify the expectations they're having difficulty meeting, come to trust that we are not going to handle those unmet expectations in ways that are punitive or harsh that have contributed to their trauma histories. They are agents of solutions in their own lives. That's something traumatized kids need badly because um, trauma can make them feel like they have no control Um, trauma can make them feel like adults are not to be trusted. Boy, a lot of those things Plan B is going to take care of for us. Um, Do they need some work on processing adults who treated them in ways that were extraordinarily unreasonable? Maybe. I don't think that's a given. I think it's a maybe. It depends on what each kid needs. Carol, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts were very similar, I think, to what is it that uh, that Plan B and the whole collaborative and proactive solutions approach provides to students, and it provides them with a feeling like they matter. It provides them with uh, some trust in at least one adult. It provides them, like you said, with that feeling of competency and control over what's happening to them because CPS isn't something that we do to kids. We do it with them. Um, and so absolutely, my first instinct was absolutely these are the kids for whom I think it can make the most difference. And the perspective that, that our letter writer had that we're not looking to fix a child, and I think that's a huge change of mindset in my, in my new school here. Um, I've had a few great conversations with, with teachers, and we've been, we've been talking about we're doing a book study with Lost and Found. I'm very excited. Um, and a few of them are, are really getting that aha of, you know, we're not trying to solve everything all at once. Going back to Tom's favorite mantra, solve one or you solve none. We're, we're looking at specific unsolved problems that when you address them and the student finds with your, with your facilitation a solution that works or that makes a difference, um, wow, the feeling of, of success and capability that they get is just immeasurable. So I think on, on two fronts, 
helping it it allows educators to feel like they have some power too because it can get quite overwhelming to look at kids who've experienced so much um you know adverse experiences in their in their young life so far and to feel like there's no way we can make a dent in that but we can just it's one unsolved problem at a time Great. I should uh, I should throw in a plug here for the School Discipline That Works conference that is being sponsored by Lives in the Balance in February 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, uh, that people can uh, interested people can uh, find that on the Lives in the Balance website and register. It's going to be an amazing two days. Um, but it's not going to be focused on um, hitting kids. I can assure you of that. Let me. Um, Let's keep going here with another email. I was looking forward to this one as well. Is direct instruction on lagging skills an option? I'm having difficulty understanding how all lagging skills are being taught simultaneously when doing Plan B. I would think some students would require direct instruction, and if so, what are your thoughts on using resources such as social stories, zones of regulation, social thinking, the incredible five-point scale? Um, it is true, not all skills are going to be taught just by doing plain old plan B, but a lot of them are. Um, the ones that I usually point toward that are going to be taught more explicitly through some of the resources that you mentioned are social skills, um, and I'm a social thinking fan, um, uh, and language processing and communication skills. Um, those are skills that plan B might give you some um, movement on, but um, those are skills that uh, might, it might make a great deal of sense to teach more explicitly. Um, yes. That's my answer to that question, but um, many skills are being taught in the empathy step, um, uh, learning how to figure out what your concerns are, learning how to articulate those concerns in ways that other people can hear. Kids are learning many skills in the defined adult concerns step, listening, empathy, appreciating how one's behavior is affecting other people, um, taking another person's perspective. Adults are learning many skills in the empathy step, like listening, empathy, taking another person's perspective. Adults are learning many skills in the defined adult concerns step, uh, figuring out what your concerns are, articulating them in ways that kids can understand. And both parties are learning lots of skills in the invitation, generating alternative solutions, coming up with solutions that aren't just going to work for you but also will work to address the concerns of other parties, resolving disagreements without conflict, Lots of skills are being taught just by doing plain old plan B, but not all skills. So there's certainly a place for other skills training programs like some of the ones that you named. Carol or Heidi, care to weigh in on that one? Yeah, I would love to actually. I was, As you were talking, um, Ross, I was thinking about the IEP, obviously, um, and identifying the needs and then determining um, the level of service after you've talked about the present level. Uh, everything that you said, um, it becomes so clear. And, and uh, the one that we, we wrote and put online 
um, it clearly, once we drilled down into things, we clearly found that the language and communication skills, which for special education purposes, then becomes um, the role of the speech and language pathologist to help with, with uh, to actually um, teach those skills. So it it all lined up. It it, it was um, it was very clear once we once we really drilled down and un, unfolded the uh, lagging skills and un, unsolved problems. Um, like I said, it just it 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 just becomes so much more clear. Um, and yeah, that's kind of it, it, you just talked about the whole thing. Perfect. Social thinking becomes a part of it as well. Um, and we can use both our special ed uh, teachers and our speech and language pathologists to teach those skills specifically. Because we want those target behaviors to be worked on, and that's why it helps to improve um, their needs and um, work towards their goals. And just to be explicit about something you said in there, it, there is a CPS-flavored IEP now on the Lives in the Balance website, um, thanks to Heidi. Carol, anything <laughs> you want to throw in there? Yeah, I don't think I've ever really considered um, – uh, working on all of the lagging skills simultaneously, but if you think about the three big categories, the communication skills obviously um, are addressed while you're doing Plan B. Um, the uh, social skills where you're taking another person's perspective and understanding how you're coming across, I mean, those are being modeled and, and practiced during that. And uh, the third big category being the just emotional regulation when someone is, model again, modeling that where there's been a problem, but as an adult, I'm calmly, you know, and reflectively talking with you about it. I'm not getting upset. And they're getting a lot of modeling as well as practice. And I think that all of those, all of those things, even though they're not explicitly being instructed during that time, there may be teachable moments <laughs> where a student might say something and you might reframe it or say, you know, or paraphrase, you know, what I think you're trying to say is, you know, and helping with some of the communication or, or whatever strategies. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I think, definitely a lot of modeling, direct modeling of a lot of those skills. There you go. Should we take another email here? I like this next one very much. I am a school counselor working with high school boys. The principal often sends me students that are disrupting class. I find that I'm able to have some success working with students that want to behave in class but find it challenging for one reason or another. Where I'm stuck is when a student in his current state has little interest in passing or behaving. I understand that there are underlying reasons for this, and I don't view the student negatively for this. But practically, it is hard to work with someone toward a goal that he doesn't share. Your thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Okay with you both if I weigh in on that one first? Yeah, of course. It's, number one, it's the classic setup of having other people send their problems to somebody else to get solved. Students that are disrupting class are having difficulty meeting certain expectations in class. If we send those students to somebody else for those problems to get solved, and notice what's missing here, we are now in the heat of the moment. This is emergent intervention. Nobody's at their best emergently, reactively. Um, we don't really know what the unsolved problem was that set the disruptive behavior in motion. And so if one should happen to be in the position where those problems are being sent to you to get solved when you don't know anything about them. 
and what's really being sent to you is behavior in a kid who's probably in a very bad frame of mind now having been sent out of class. This is not a setup for success. What's also missing is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Students who are chronically disrupting class are absolutely ideal candidates for us to figure out proactively what a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are and start solving those problems collaboratively and proactively. So yes, there are definitely underlying reasons for the student uh, when in that state having little interest in passing or behaving. But to tell you the truth, let's take it out of the heat of the moment. Any student who it appears has little interest in passing or behaving, I promise you, has lagging skills and unsolved problems. Promise. So if, even if that kid doesn't look that way just in the heat of the moment, they look that way chronically, there are lagging skills and unsolved problems afoot, and we are not going to help that kid unless we use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to figure it out. Now, one last piece, and this is me um, being um, prickly about um, and precise is the better word about language. It's hard to work with someone toward a goal that he doesn't share. Um, what goal are we talking about? Behaving in class? Um, if this kid has chronically been misbehaving in class, then that simply says to me that there are lagging skills and unsolved problems that have gone chronically unaddressed. So it's a, it's a good chance that the kid has lost hope. It's a good chance that the kid is um, no longer thinking that doing well is in the cards. I'm still pointed to the same answer, though, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, those are my thoughts. Carol, Heidi, what are yours? Well, that's, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a student right now that I'm, that I'm uh, helping the teacher uh, work with to, to kind of get the right lenses on and to understand. Probably one of the most, uh, I think when I go to the ALSIP, uh, the most, uh, the, the skill that we've noticed that he's really lagging in is that uh, chronic irritability and uh, difficulty um, kind of taking another person's point of view. And he's, he's one of those kids, he's a grade four student and one of those situations where it doesn't quite hasn't quite developed uh, to the point where he can understand that dif uh, fair doesn't mean equal. So it's you know nobody should have something different, and I should have everything that somebody else has. So we've been working in it, and it manifests itself in many many times in the classroom. And, and right off the bat, from the beginning of the year, maybe about day three or four, <laughs> you know, it was you know, can you come down to the class and, and talk to this student? And, and you know, my approach obviously being uh, that we that we work with kids one on one and not in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, it was an invitation to the child to to come for a walk. And right off the bat, I could tell that he was used to being Plan A a lot because it was I don't want to go. Why should I have to go for a walk? I don't want to go for a walk, you know. So I ran up against that uh, that reaction myself quite quickly. And I know that for teachers, a lot of times what they are looking for is, yes, a solution to the problem, but also a bit of a break because some of these kids, when they're just chronically challenging, um, it can be tiring, very, very tiring and, and emotionally stressful. So obviously trying to turn the table around and, and doing that work with the child in a proactive way where you may still be giving the teacher um, a little bit of a break and uh, taking taking the child to work with you or with a counselor or, you know, if, if at all possible, I try to, to get the teacher, when we get to the to the giving the teacher's perspective, but sometimes I'll take the student um, to do the empathy step uh, just on my own first. 
um, you know, you can still kind of meet those two goals, but I, I get it when sometimes teachers are just like, I can't, you know, <laughs> this is too stressful for me right now. So it's trying to find that balance of turning uh, turning the perspective around about why am I being called in to help support and uh, and how can we make that work in a way that starts to build some trust with that child? Because you can, it's pretty easy to spot a kid who's been plan aid a lot, even by the time they're only eight or nine years old, because they mm-hmm. they respond to you in a pretty clear manner. That's saying like, "Don't you plan a me, lady? <laughs> Don't do it." <laughs> um, Heidi, what do you think? Um, yeah, absolutely. So the truth, yes. Um, my thought on this is that. You know, the framework of this, um, when you don't do it with fidelity, you sometimes in the heat of the moment, you lose where you're going and you get sort of sucked into the chaos of plan A, um, if that makes any sense. Uh, When you're dealing with a student and you're dealing with the staff and everybody's like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, this student has done this. Um, he's, you know, behaving this way. Um, how, how are we going to get him to school? We can't ride the bus or, you know, he can't be in this class or he can't be next to this student. Um, so we, we lose that moment. Um, and, if you know, I think my, my thought on this is, is try to stay within that framework and, and do plan B with fidelity because when you veer away, and, and it's easy to do when you veer away from it, that's when you start to lose kids. Um, and I'm saying this just from experience, even just today, this kind of happened. Um, and as I'm listening, I'm thinking, oh, goodness, you know, I should have done what I was initially thinking. But in the heat of the moment, as people, teachers, you know, principals are all around you talking, and they all see things in the plan A way, you have to be that, that person that sticks to plan B to pull everybody back. Um, and so it's like I, I tell myself, don't break my own rules. Um, and that's kind of my thought on it is, is that if, if I, as I reflect back on it, the situation, if I wouldn't have broken my own rules, then I wouldn't have another situation that I have to deal with. So stay with it. That's, that's a real, that's a strong recommendation. Outstanding. Uh, (laughs) let's do one more email today. That's probably all we have time left for. This one says, hi, I'm a principal at a charter school in the Midwest. I've been leading my staff through some work with your book, Lost at School. We've been discussing whether the CPS model is equally relevant for all racial and cultural groups. Can you comment? We would love to hear a response. And Carol, you uh, have a uh, work in a school system that is in one of the more culturally diverse places I know. Let's give you the first crack at that. Ah, well, you know what? I'm trying to think of whether, you know, in our school system, it, it is really diverse. And um, in terms of cultural, I'm trying to think, right, one, one of the big um, areas of understanding that our, our system is coming to right now is uh, we're going through a huge period of reconciliation with Canada's Aboriginal people. And one of the, one of the guiding um, sets of beliefs that we're operating under is uh, called the First People's Principles of Learning, and I have them posted in my office right now. (laughs) Um, And I'm looking through them, and I'm thinking, I think Collaborative and Proactive Solutions addresses this. Um, We're looking at Indigenous ways of knowing and helping ourselves um, come back to a place where where um, we're being, we're, we're working with people in a way that culturally makes sense to them. And I'm looking through them. So the first one is that learning supports the well-being of the self, the family, the community, the land, the spirits, and the ancestors. And I would have to say that that listening to children and working together with them to solve problems 
honors that part of, the, of that principle. Um, it's holistic, it's reflective, it's experiential, and it's relational, uh, absolutely. It involves recognizing the consequences of one's actions, absolutely. When you're involved in solving something, you're acknowledging that this is a problem that I'm a part of and I need to help solve it. Um, uh, it's embedded in memory and history. Uh, those are things that, that we ask kids to tell us about from their, from their perspective. Um, it involves patience and time, and this is so huge because that is one of the biggest um, hurdles uh, into to bringing people alongside in this work, I think, is that it's not speedy, that these problems uh, sometimes are, are many, and they take the unsolved uh, problems and lagging skills can, can be so numerous that it can take so much time before you see really significant progress, but my belief is that every time you enter into the conversation, you're making progress that it explores your identity and it evolves that. Uh, so I think, honestly, um, culturally, I don't know of uh, many cultures who would find that treating the child as a human, that um, mm. help, helping them be not you know, accountable for, for themselves, having expectations, um, but working together to solve the problems that would be contrary culturally. Mm. Good. Now, before we turn to Heidi, Carol, you've done Plan B with kids of every size, shape, color, gender. Have you yep. noticed that there are kids that, um, because of culture or ethnicity, are having a harder time participating in Plan B than kids of other cultures or ethnicities? I don't think so. I, I, the only thing as I was speaking that I think might arise is that there are sometimes parents that from their mm. cultural experience, whether that's through school or family, um, really strongly believe in the, in the uh, action consequence reward model. And it may be that this to them is surprising, but I don't think that necessarily has cultural boundaries on it. I think it may just be more experiential of what, what they grew up with as as kids themselves. Yeah. Heidi, what do you think? Yeah, um, I was as you were both talking, um, clearly I was in one situation in one of my school districts where um, it became clear to me that we didn't really understand the cultural um, background of the child that they were bringing forward. Um, it was a young child, um, but what I realized from that situation, it's my job to help them to understand um, how to approach, you know, the cult how, how we approach the cu cultural differences. Um, sometimes, as you said, it's the parents that don't understand the process and helping them to understand that. So, um, you know, I think, that the, I think that this will work with anybody. It's just that we have to understand who they are that, that's coming in to work with us. Um, and we can't forget, you know, that they do come from different situations because this particular student um, came from Iraq um, and had been living in a war zone for four years prior to coming um, and had some pretty significant differences than we see in the town that I was at. Um, so it was, a, it was about really getting to understand what happened and then how to move forward and help them understand the process and then understanding also what their cultural background uh, was. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it would work just fine if, he, if as long as you understand who it is um, and where they're from and what, what it is that they faced in their past as well, because you don't want to make statements that might 
um, insult because that can happen pretty easily when there are cultural differences. And so, you know, even just looking at somebody in the eye could be a cultural difference. So how do we approach all of that? So, yeah, but I don't see the process of, of um, identifying the lagging skills and unsolved problems any different for any culture as long as we understand what they've already been facing. And I'll just add my two cents. I've uh, had the good fortune to do this with kids of lots of different cultures and ethnicities and genders. Um, I find that within every culture there's diversity. There are some cultures that have a reputation for, as Carol was saying, be per perhaps um, being more authoritarian, being more punitive. But there's diversity mm -hmm. within every culture. So um, I don't like to talk about this in terms of being cultural. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't come across an ethnicity yet or a culture yet where the individuals who are part of that culture don't want their concerns to be heard, don't want their concerns to be addressed, and aren't able to come together on solutions. Um, there's my two cents. And on that note, we've got to call it a day. Thank you both for doing this once again. And Thank um, you. we'll be back again in the beginning of December to do it again. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks.